Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied. Back. The Game Pressing Podcast from the Football Guard Network. Um, my name is Manuel Fied, once again hosting the show. Um, I guess not really hosting, just talking about German football and um, really happy to be back after a really interesting week of Bundesliga football, I think. And of course, it's also um, Dave Pipokal, so maybe we'll touch on that. Although, I mean, it's coming up so quickly then. Uh, we don't want to age this podcast too badly. But yeah, I'm happy to be once again joined by Stefan. Stefan, how's it going, man? Um, I heard you went yeah. for a bit of a hike this weekend. Um, still sore? <laughs> yeah, did that classic thing of getting to the end of it. And my fiance and I said, hey, that wasn't so bad. And then today we have really struggled. Uh, we struggled so much that when I finished work, we were too tired to make dinner. So we just ordered an Indian. So I've just finished that. And I'm going to spend the next 40 minutes trying not to fall asleep because I've had my dinner. So, but yeah, doing very well. Besides that, doing very, very well. I love that. Um, I've definitely been there. Actually, I was there last night. Um, I did a big 100K ride on Saturday after it became apparent that we're not going to be washed away by the tsunami. And um, <laughs> yesterday, um, the next day, I was pretty tired as well. We just went out for sushi. And it was delightful. It was very nice. And it, I felt sometimes very... you just have to order in. Sometimes you order in or go out for dinner. Yeah. It was just like one of those Sunday night things where it's just like, I can't, man. I'm tired. <laughs> and uh, it felt good. And uh, you know what? It's actually, I was actually also thinking, um, despite Omicron and all that, and how much of a better place we are in the world at the moment than we were 12 months ago. And um, mm. with restaurants being open and the restrictions being very minimal, I thought it actually just kind of all felt very positive. And um, the other thing I did today, I put away my accreditations um, for 2021 into the, I have a big box. Um, I'm pretty sure you would probably have one too with all your accreditations of the past. And um, I added my 2021 accreditations to it today because I have a couple of season accreditations as well. Right. And um I am very hopeful about 2022. And at the same time, I think this is a very good start to what I want to discuss first. And um, I want to give, give a shout out to Matt Ford here on an article he wrote for, wrote for Deutsche Welle. And it really hit home for me. And it really resonated for me as well that there seems to be a certain, the discourse about, where we are going next with COVID seems to be very strongly linked to, well, everything, we can do everything, right? But sport events are bad. And he pointed out an event that took place at the opera in Hamburg um, where everyone, where, where they were at 95% capacity. Um, everyone wore masks uh, and then assume everyone was uh, fully vaccinated, including a booster, right? The, the so-called 2G plus rule. And then I look at German stadiums and I see 750 people at Dortmund and, um, you know, see a few hundred people at the Rhein Derby. And I just think, how is it okay for indoor things to be open, including restaurants, where transition rates are very high um, and stadiums where we actually know for a fact and have evidence for it, where transition rates are very low, especially if everyone is fully vaccinated. Right. I just, I don't know. How do you feel about it? I, I feel like at the moment we're kind of at the, at the road now where we've like had so much in our head that sport events are bad and it's almost a populist thing to shut down. And we do this. We have done the same here in BC and British Columbia and all over Canada. Um, I think the United States actually have it more right than we do in some ways. Um, where do you feel we're at this? And especially when you say, okay, anyone was, we're only allowing in people who are, fully vaccinated plus a booster. I think we're probably at a stage now where we could say that's okay, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I know we want to discuss this, but I don't think it's even going to be that long of a discussion because we both agree on it, I think. Um, you know, Matt's always on top of these things. He's always so sharp. Uh, he's a great follow on Twitter, so you should definitely go find him. He does a lot of great work for Deutsche Welle. Uh, an old colleague of mine, so really nice guy. Um, and yeah, he's, he's absolutely spot on. There's This contradiction has kind of weaved itself throughout the pandemic, I think, especially mm-hmm. within... Well, from what I've been able to tell from the European side of things, um, here in the UK, where I am up in Scotland, um, it's been a contradiction from the very start because you'll have people who cannot go to football games, but they can sit in a pub and watch the game, or they can go to a shopping centre and rub shoulders with people for three or four hours indoors and do their shopping on a Saturday, but they can't sit in an open football stadium. Uh, It's never made any sense to me. Um, I know the argument is that football grounds can cause bottleneck situations. People get on buses to go to games. They go to bars and pubs before games and after games. Um, but, you know, we're now, at the, we're now at a point in the pandemic when people are doing that anyway because these other places are still open. So it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and to kind of narrow it back in on the Bundesliga, it, I, I genuinely think it's, it's go, it, we're going to see the consequences of this kind of period of time without any fans for quite some time, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I've kind of mentioned on this podcast a couple of times over the last few months or even this whole season, really, that even though on paper and on the surface things seem to be going fine in the Bundesliga, uh, you know, teams are putting, sorry, clubs are putting teams out every week product on the pitch is as good as you know it has been uh for a while now so everything's fine you know when you're sitting on your couch watching the game everything seems to be okay but kind of getting murmurs from you know different clubs people speaking to clubs that underneath the surface a lot of these clubs are suffering because the Bundesliga more than certainly far more than the Premier League relies on ticket revenue and I know a lot of clubs have season ticket money which they they have anyway but a huge chunk of income for these clubs is match day income. You know, people mm-hmm. picking up a hot dog, a schnitzel, beer, mm-hmm. whatever else. These things are huge revenue streams for these clubs, and they've just had to forget about them for so long. Um, and I know from a German point of view, and I know Vadska at Dortmund was very vocal about these uh, restrictions being put back in place. He was citing academic uh, papers saying yeah. that there, there hasn't been a single notable outbreak from a from a football game uh during the pandemic and i and I, that doesn't surprise me at all uh but where i basically come down on this is that and this is mostly through watching it kind of unfold here in the part of the world that i am um it's it's not a scientific decision it's a political decision because closing sporting events is the easiest thing to do um yeah and it's something that seems to, you know, obviously other parts of society that don't follow sport, it seems like a quite a pragmatic thing to do, even though, you know, those of us who follow sport and cover sport and those of us who go to sporting events who have probably spent their evenings looking up these stats, there's no data to, to suggest that sporting events have to shut. So, um, you know, look, pandemic's been really tough for everyone. I think governments across the world have reacted differently. Everyone's trying to play catch up to this disease when it does mutate and come back, mm. et cetera, et cetera. But um, I think the one thing that's really irritated me throughout it is just the way the sport has been pushed to the side. Not in the sense that it, it because no, no one, no one is arguing that it should be more important in other parts of society, but it, it has felt like across both sides of the, of the Atlantic, uh, across Europe that, Sporting events are usually the first ones to get cancelled because um, the rest of society just seems to be fine with it, even though I don't think it's very fair. I think it's the easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, even if it's not, a lot of a lot of the decisions that have been made in the latter stages of the pandemic have been about optics. Um, the whole debate about shutting down sport events, and I, I know this because I have some pretty good sources close to the health um, health decision makers in, in this part of the world that I live in. Um, 
And I know that a lot of the decisions that are being made, not in this province that I live in, but in other provinces in Canada, for example, um, about are about optics and about populism. And we know, for example, that the biggest driver of this pandemic is social events. And I, I, I use this to describe this in a certain way because people were saying, um, to give you a really good, very simple explanation, um, people were complaining in British Columbia about the Vancouver Canucks being allowed to have 9,000 people in attendance. And they ended up opting, they opted out to cancel, they opted to cancel all games instead because that would have hurt them financially significantly. But it was a huge discussion point was just like, oh, why is there 9,000 people allowed at the Canucks while we are allowed to have 10, only 10 people, <laughs> 10 people in our house for Christmas parties? And people see the, the one number, the 9,000, and they see the 10, but they don't realize that Christmas, with, let's say we have, we have 5 million people in this province, right? That's 5 million people moving around for Christmas. So the number is not five versus, it's not 10 versus 9,000. It's actually 5 million versus 9,000. And it's 5 million where 20% aren't vaccinated, right? So that's um, quick math. That's a million people who are not vaccinated. Um, right. Is that right? No. Yeah, that's correct. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, that's right. Right. Anyway, so that's a huge chunk of people who are not vaccinated who are still mobile, whereas in the Canucks game, everyone is vaccinated. And that that's, that slow down transmission rate quite a bit. And people see the big numbers, right? They see the 40,000 at Dortmund, not realizing that in North Rhine-Westphalia, there's 16 million people celebrating Christmas, right? Um, but you cannot shut down Christmas parties. I mean, good luck. You can't go door to door and control everybody. It doesn't work that way. So which one of the two things are you going to shut down? It's not the Christmas parties because you can't. I mean, you can put restrictions in and say, oh, you can only see 10 people outside of your own household. I mean, good luck, <laughs> um, especially when in Germany you have 25% of the population still not vaccinated. Do you think those people who are not vaccinated will also follow health regulations? No, they will not. But at the Dortmund game, you can actually you can actually check who's getting in. You can check whether everyone is vaccinated. And look, you could do 2G+, which means you're only allowing in people who are boosted. And the newest studies that have come out of Germany suggest that they, it, a booster shot will get, give you 70% protection to even get the virus. Not only do not stay out of hospital with Omicron, but do not get Omicron. That's a pretty big number. That, that slows down transmission rates. And I think people are really stuck with numbers. You know, they see the... 40,000 at the soccer stadium, they say, that's bad. Not realizing that there's millions traveling for Christmas and that's way worse. And I think that's where we are at. And I think a lot of people who struggle with numbers and so politicians will make the decisions that are easy to explain, even if they're not scientifically, uh, if even if they don't have a scientific basics. And it's it's going to be really difficult, I think. It's really difficult to get out of this trap for them too, Right. To say, okay, well, well, we found that maybe it wasn't that bad in stadiums and, um, you know, to explain the optics about it all. And I can understand if they say, okay, look, maybe we're not going to go straight back to 83,000 in Dortmund. Fair enough. I understand it. The optics aren't great. But 750? I mean, come on. What's the difference between 750 and 22,000 at this stage? That's what. That's where I'm confused, and I don't understand it. And there is no scientific proof to actually back that this is a good decision, right? It is the decision that looks good, but it's not a scientifically well backed up decision. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you. And that's why I said, you know, I think we both kind of coming from the same point of view. I think we both were nodding along with when we read Matt's article and. Yeah, I think it's probably a point of view that most football fans have. So, just remains to be seen how quickly they can pull up these uh, restrictions and get back to letting fans back in the stadium. Yeah, I think it's all about optics, isn't it? Um, and it doesn't help that a lot of German politicians kind of finger whack at the UK and the US and it's like, "Look at this! It's how bad it is!" You know, 
not realizing that the impact on actual hospitalization from these stadiums is minimal. At, that's where we are at, and that's how politics work. And it's not always driven by science. It's often driven by how it looks. And I find that very frustrating. And it has a huge impact. I mean, the next topic that we want to talk about is Borussia Mönchengladbach, right? And he is, he is a club that has um, is, is very dependent on stadium revenue. And this is a club that sells out every game. Top of my head, there's about 50,000 seats at the Borussia Park in Gladbach. And um, a brand new stadium with VIP boxes and a huge hospitality sector that's currently being left unused. And when you go by some of the numbers of um, what other clubs are generating on a match day, we're talking about millions of euros lost every game, right? And it is impacting decisions at the club. And the the two standout examples at the moment are Dennis Zakaria and Matthias Ginter. And the big story, of course, this weekend was with Matthias Ginter that he was benched because Borussia, Borussia Mönchengladbach wanted to push him out of the club because they need to generate money. They can't have him leave on a free transfer in the summer. So even five or six million euros would be an acceptable sum for them. But it, that's... It, it's as you said earlier. It's already driving decisions at a club level that we previously didn't have. I mean, in the past, German clubs would have sort of shrugged it off and said, "Well, it's too bad he's leaving on a free, but we're not gonna bench him." That you saw that in other leagues where 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 clubs were under financial pressure, but you did not see that in the Bundesliga, and now you're seeing it. And I find that interesting, but also concerning. I think. I mean, how do you see the whole Matthias Ginter situation? It's not like Gladbach can afford to bench him anyways. He's he's a very solid centre-back. And even though he hasn't been the best, they do definitely need him. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this is a really interesting one. I mean, I watched that game against uh, Leverkusen uh, mm-hmm. and it was just a bizarre football game, if I'm being honest with you. I didn't think yeah. either team were particularly good Um I kind of made a reference that I think three of the goals over the course of the game, or well, all three of the goals actually came from set pieces, I think, because it was just one of those games where neither team really seemed that interested in trying to play coherent, uh, accurate football. Um, it also just felt like another game in which Gladbach just didn't seem like they were 100% there. It feels almost whenever I watch Gladbach this season, it's as if they're distracted by something. There's, 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 there's a kind of underlining worry or concern that just kind of looms over this club. Um, mm. Thank God for Jan Sommer, obviously, who saved two penalties. Um, he was obviously the only player really making a huge amount of effort there. Um, but, you know, in terms of the actual... So, obviously, there's Ginter and then there's obviously Zachariah. Um and I thought Hooter was quite interesting with his comments after the game when he said, you know, he was basically asked, you know, can you can you keep these two players out of the team? And, and he said, and his, his answer was quite interesting because he immediately went, well, if Zachary is fit, he's playing because he's really the yeah. only number eight that we have in that position. Now, obviously, great, you know, no one's going to argue with that. He's a great player. But it was interesting that instead of saying they are both important players, he said Zachariah is an important player. Um, and obviously the kind of subtext that is the fact that obviously Friedrichs now arrived from Union Berlin. Mm-hmm. They've brought in another central defender. And in, in him, so technically Gladbach now have cover and they can now sell Ginter, who apparently they're trying to flog off to Inter Milan at the moment, um, according to some reports in Germany. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting one because, you know, obviously I think Ginter's a very good player. I think he's came on leaps and bounds and since that spell at Dortmund, it didn't work out very well for him. Um, somewhat ironically, I actually think maybe a return to Dortmund would actually be quite good for the player and the club. It'd be interesting if he could maybe, if he could almost go back there and and then finally become that first team player that he, he wanted to become. Um... Because they could also use someone like that. Stefan, everyone is thinking it. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, I don't know if you know something that I don't. No, Um, I don't think it's going to happen either. But it would make. I I think it would make a lot of sense. 
Yeah. Um, the, the, so he's obviously Ginter's got options, you know. Um, it seems like Inter seems to be the obvious decision for him. Okay, fair enough. Zachariah is an interesting one for me because he's been linked with about half of the Premier League at the moment. Yeah. Um, he's linked with Manchester United every week. Uh, I have a constant stream of Man United blogs and podcasts and influencers and whatever else you want to call them in my DMs on Twitter. Uh, asking me when's he going to sign? How good is he? Can you come talk about? And Same. you know, it's kind of, and it's I can tiring. understand, I can, I, and, but but I can understand why Man United fans are getting quite excited because he does seem like a perfect fit for them. He's a great player. Uh, he's playing at a great level, uh, and he's basically available for free for Man United's kind of finances as pocket change. So I'm really intrigued uh, as to why. Um, you know why um, a deal hasn't happened yet. I mean, maybe I I don't know if maybe there's something else that you know about it, but I thought it was quite interesting that um, Seb Stafford Bloor at the Athletic and Kevin Hatchard were actually talking about this on Twitter, and I thought Seb made a really good point in the sense that as good a player as, as obviously as Dennis Zakaria is, he's he's as everyone who's been following the Bundesliga this season knows, he's, he is coming back from that knee injury. Um, and it popped out on my, on my title because Kevin was obviously discussing it with him, but I thought they both made great points. And I, and, and that's the, that's probably the one time I've, I've thought, okay, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what's holding all this up. Maybe maybe Manchester United aren't comfortable with his recovery from that knee injury. Maybe he mm. himself isn't comfortable making a big move just yet. Uh, with that knee injury, maybe he'd like to have another half season at Gladbach to kind of get his fitness back. Um, so yeah, to kind of cut a long story short, uh, I think Gladbach are prepared to let Glad to prepare to let Ginter go, uh, but I wonder if Zakaria would prefer to stay for the rest of the season so he can finally get over this injury. Or he's signed somewhere already. Yeah, and he would just play the rest of the season at Gladbach. Because you have to remember, at the end of the day. And this is this is the one thing. I went on a Barcelona podcast earlier today. Um, like you, <laughs> there's been many requests, and um, I've gotten a little bit careful on which shows I go and which ones I don't. And that's no disrespect to these shows. I think there a lot of people doing great work. It's just time is an issue, right? Um, and I went on this one because you know it, it just worked really well with my schedule. And I said that on there as already, and um, I thought this is quite important to acknowledge in both these players' situation. And it also explains to some, in some ways, why Gladbach are acting the way they're acting. Um, it's that they're not in control anymore. The as of January first, Matthias Ginter and Dennis Zakaria can sign with whatever club they want to choose to sign for. Um, you know, and that's, I think, very important to note here that maybe Dennis Zakaria has signed a contract somewhere as of July 1st, right? And within FIFA rules and transfer regulations, that is completely allowed. Gladbach can bench Ginter as much as they want, but in the end of the day, they're no longer in control of the situation because um, even if they are pushing for a transfer, if Ginter is not signing a deal anywhere in January, he's not going anywhere. Um, and if he's signing a deal with a club as of July 1st, there is nothing Gladbach can do about it. And that is the reality of the situation. And so um, I don't know whether Matthias Ginter and Dennis Zakaria have already signed a contract somewhere else. I know there have been rumors, uh, Ginter with Inter Milan and um, Zakaria with Dortmund, right? We're looking to replace Axel Witzel. Um, so don't quote, don't radio me, don't quote me on this, but there is a chance that those two players have already sorted the future and just haven't told anyone yet. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think the one thing we're missing from this situation is clarity from Gladbach, which is yeah. something we're, we're actually usually quite used to having because obviously, 
you know, Max Eberl gets a lot of credit for the way he runs Gladbach, but part mm. of that is down to the fact that he's a very straightforward, honest person when he speaks to the German media. And he has been quite honest about things. He has said, look, we haven't had any offers for Zakaria. And he said throughout much of the season, look, we'd love to offer Ginter and Zakaria contracts and uh, new contracts, but we can't even afford to give them the contracts, uh, the terms that they're on right now. And this goes back to what we're previously talking about mm-hmm. uh, the lack of fans in the stadium. Um, so I think that's what we're kind of waiting for now. I think we're waiting for Eberl to come out and say, look, uh, you know, Zachary has agreed to join Dortmund or whoever else. He's been linked with Bayern Munich as, as well. Um, he's just a very useful player. So the rumour mill is going to do what it always does and link no, him to the third team. It reminds me of last year with Marco Rosa, <laughs> where lots yeah. of people knew that he was going to Dortmund, but it took them... Oh, trying to get my timeline here right please correct me if i get this wrong but it took them a good another three or four months until it was actually official hmm. i think it the was room- the worst the, it was the worst kept secret yeah it was. and when it did finally come out they handled this just as badly as they're handling this with ginter now um there was a lot of stuff that came out around the time that was click- quickly denied by the club Remember when Marco Rosa reportedly was on the verge of being fired immediately and um, apparently drove away and there was Matthias Ginter had an altercation with the coach on, on, on the field and all that stuff. It was all poo-pooed by the club and said, like, that's not true. But I always had a sense that there was more to the story than all the parties admitted. And I get the sense that even though now it's players, it's a similar situation, isn't it? It's, it's, we're here again, you know, we're in January and there's two key people at Gladbach that are going to leave and um, they're definitely going to leave. We just don't know yet where, um, although I, I had the sense that Dortmund were very close with Zakaria. Um, I have no insight on whether that's done or not. Again, don't radio me. Um, but the fact that United have basically not gone anywhere yet maybe indicates to me that there's another club already further. Um, but it's just the way it's being handled that really makes me raise my eyebrows a little bit. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. And it's not the first time. Yeah, I think the issue as well is that it's, it's two players here. It's not just one player who could be coming or going. It's not Hoffman in the past or Neuhaus or something. You know, it's mm-hmm. two really crucial players at a point when the club are struggling tremendously on the pitch. So I think fans do deserve some clarity on on this and, and what's happening. And and even Adi Hutter, I mean, I'm sure Adi Hutter obviously knows much more than the fans do, uh, but he's the in a really I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Does he? Does he know? Because here's another personal per, personal situation at Gladbach where we both of us have, have mentioned this. If there were fans in the stadium and no restrictions in place, would Ari Hütter still be in charge of Gladbach? It's a very good question. Right, and it is. What not, and it's, it's just not what I can answer at all. No, it's it's so hard to, to get a reading on any of these situations. But I re- remember just before the winter break when they got smashed by Freiburg. I think if Gladbach are in a healthy financial situation, Adi Hütter gets fired that day. I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of concern as to whether they can afford to sack him at the moment. Mm-hmm. But maybe, you know, there's also, there's always that kind of, there's also, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's also opportunity and chaos, I guess the best way to put it, in the sense that the clubs, the clubs, you know, on the pitch is such a disaster and off the pitch is a disaster because of COVID. It's almost as if Max Eberl can actually almost hide undercover from all that and you know almost it's almost like because because everything's going so wrong right now people like Adi Gunter yeah. can actually hide from it and Eberl can just basically wipe his hands of it at the end of the season and say look 
nothing went right for us that season. We'll, we'll, we'll pick it up in the summer and take it from there. Because this is undoubtedly a hugely transitional period for the club, mm-hmm. uh, financially and on the pitch. Um, and there's probably more issues coming down the line for them as well. Neuhaus, for example, yeah. uh, once he, if he even ever gets back into any decent form, I'm sure it won't be long before he's linked with Bayern Munich again. So, you know, it, it'll, it'll all kick back into gear next year as well. But you'd think by that point, Gladbach will have a better understanding of what's going on in the squad with their head coach. And then with COVID, presumably, hopefully behind us, uh, some finances in their bank account as well. Yeah, I think fans coming back into the stadium um, will make things more difficult for people on the field, but more easy for people having to deal with the bank accounts, if that makes any sense. Um, I think it provides some clarity. Um, Look, we are in that part of the league table. Uh, Gladbach are 12 with 22 points. Um, I just want to... Before we move on to our next topic, I want to bring up this crazy stat from the Rhein Derby. And I agree with you. It was a weird game. Um, did you see the XG on that, Stefan? Uh, no, I turned the game off at full time and promised to never think of it ever again. Okay, so what do you think it was? Oh, so I'm going to say maybe like 4.3 for Leverkusen since they missed two penalties. Um and I don't know, Gladbach one point two. Okay, you got close of one. Um, Gladbach was one point one three. Are you ready? Are you sitting down? I am sitting down. Okay, so Leverkusen's xG was six point eight six. Do you know what? Honestly, just to talk about Leverkusen for a moment here, very briefly, that game felt something I've kind of felt about Leverkusen where. I, it, it's obviously not very complimentary comment, but I feel Leverkusen play football the way that most teams play training sessions <laughs> in the sense that Bellarabe, Florian Wirtz, Patrick Schick, these guys all kind of swan around the football pitch as if they've already done it sometimes. I mean, and, and mm. don't get me wrong, it's because they're obviously all supremely talented players, but that game felt as though a game in which they were all trying about maybe 70 or 80%. And they were all missing that kind of clinical touch to really, because they really should have been well and beyond Gladbach, in my opinion. Um, And I thought this game was going to have a huge amount of goals in it. I mean, I had three and two missed penalties, so I wasn't that far off. But um, yeah, it was. That's what happens when even if Leverkusen take their foot off the gas slightly, they can still create a huge amount of chances. uh, But they still, at the end of the day, rely on these guys to score the goals, and they just looked quite blunt against Gladbach so you'd think that they'll push past that and keep going on yeah it's an it's an, inc- an incredible stat um, I don't think I've ever seen an XG that high I don't think XG is the be all and end all of all football statistics I just want to put that out there um, I take it always with a huge grain of salt but when you see an XG of 6 8.6 then um, I take notice and uh, I thought it was it was an interesting game, and I think it showed everything that's wrong with Gladbach, but in some ways it also showed everything that's wrong with Leverkusen. Uh, <laughs> in, in the good and the bad, um, yeah. But I want to move on to a team that we haven't really talked very much. This is a little bit of a podcast focused on the, on the lower half, a little bit of a crisis show, I guess, and that's Stuttgart. And I went on the Total Soccer Show last week, um, this is definitely a show that I always do and um, like to do because, and I want to give them a shout out too because they're just excellent. Um, Tyler Rockwell does a, does a great podcast, a daily podcast with the Total Soccer Show and um, huge shout out to them. And I said to them, and I hope I won't regret this, that Stuttgart will be just fine at the end of the season and that a lot of the problems stem from the fact that they had so many injuries in the first half of the season, but also dealt with a lot of COVID cases. Um, I say that, and then unfortunately, they um, lose. (laughs) (laughs) And um, are now not... I mean, in fairness, it was against Leipzig. So, okay, grain of salt. Leipzig have been very good. And Leipzig looked like the the resurgence side that I predicted they would be on on the very same show. 
But um, they're 17th, which is a direct relegation spot, Stefan. And at what point, and I really like Pellegrino Matarazzo. I think he's a great coach. But at what point does it become from, and you see this, you see this often um, with teams in the Bundesliga. The first half of the season starts slow. They have all the quality. Uh, a few key players get hurt. This year, of course, COVID is an extra issue. Um, you think this team will probably finish in the top 10, sh- probably should finish in the top 10, but because of the accumulation of problems, um, they just can't get started. Uh, they drop deeper and deeper in the standings. At some point, the coach gets fired, and then they get relegated at the end of the year. We see that very often in this league. And at what, at what point do we say about Stuttgart, yes, that's where they are at? Yeah, so Stuttgart are a really interesting side at the moment because if any team in this division this season was a system, a system, a victim of circumstance, I think it would be this side because there's kind of three main issues here that I think have really torpedoed their campaign. And well, not just three reasons, three players. Um, obviously, you know, Kalazic being out for almost the entire season. Uh, he's played to date three games, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Sasa Kalacic, the forwards, and he was he was he was what the entire team was built around last season. I thought he was outstanding. Um, I was going so far as to tip him as a potential Haaland replacement at Dortmund. That's how highly I I rated um, the kid. Me too. Um, um, you know, and and he can still do that, but he picked up a really 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 horrible injury. And he's only just come back in the last couple of weeks. He's still not 100%. Um, but that's the equivalent of Dortmund losing Haaland, Bayern Munich losing Lewandowski. Mm. Um, you know, you name it, whoever else you want to stick in there instead. So, you know, that's huge. Um, obviously losing a, a winger in Shalai Mavumba, who I've, or Mavumba rather, who I've just realised I've never actually said it loud, out loud since he changed his name, obviously because... Uh, you know, uh, obviously his name was Wamam Getuka, uh, and then obviously there was a kind of complicated situation, obviously with his his name and how agent had uh, mm. basically manipulated him into changing his identity and things. So either way, huge player for them last season. Um, you know, I think last season he picked up 13 goals and five assists. Second only to Kladzic in terms of his goal contributions. And of course, the other one as well is the fact that they sold Nikolai Gonzalez in the summer. Left winger, Fiorentina. They got a yeah. great value from him, don't get me wrong. But he's now sitting quite comfortable with three goals and five assists in the Serie A this season. And God, could they use him right now? Um, so I think, yeah. you know, when they did sell him, I remember thinking... That's a really good price for him. I can understand why they sold him. And hey, look, it's fine because they've got plenty of uh, depth and they've got plenty of other forwards they can rely on. The problem is that um, those two other players have picked up huge injuries. Um, and that's basically what it comes down to at the end of the day. You know, Stuttgart have got a good squad, but they don't have a huge squad. And they relied on two or three really outstanding players last season. And basically, their three best players from last season were either sold or have been injured for just about the entire campaign so far. Um, and that's where they are, but they are, I think. Mm. And they're very young. Average age is 23.2. Mm. And I think, too, and you, all the things that you mentioned and you add at certain times of the campaign, six, seven guys being out with COVID, mm. that's, that's hard. That's really hard. If you're a young squad, that's difficult. Um, and Sasha Kalajic is, of course, now back. But how long is it going to take him to gain that form? You know, you, you usually say um, the period that you were out, you need that time on top of that again to actually regain the form that you had before your injury. And the same can be said for Wamangituka, um, now known as Katomba Mambupa, um, mm. who was also out with a really nasty injury and it still is out, right? Um, with uh, fitness issues. And mm-hmm. 
a really bad injury and again you know you will have you will have to rely on these guys coming back regaining their fitness while also fighting against relegation and look i personally still think they're going to be fine um there is the parachute with uh, 16th place right there the relegation playoff but you have to remember this year the relegation playoff could be schalke or hamburg <laughs> or bremen and that's hard <laughs> you have essentially two blue chip clubs in this league fighting for a bundesliga spot and that's what makes the bundesliga so very difficult is that unlike the other top leagues in europe there's only 18 spots Hmm. Right, there's um, 10% less spots than there is in Serie A, in the Premier League, or La Liga, or um, and that's that is that is significant. Um, I, I, I think another thing as well that is a huge problem for Stuttgart as well is if you look at their fixture list, um, they've kind of already blown most of the chances they're going to get to pick up three points. Yeah, You know, they lost to Bielefeld uh, in early November. They drew with Hertha Berlin when they were in the middle of their disaster in mid-December. And obviously a couple of weeks ago, they only mm. took a point of Greuther Firth. Uh, in fairness, look, that was when, when they were hit with COVID, right? Sure, sure. You look at that, you, you look at that kind of list of fixtures they have coming up. They have Freiburg away, Frankfurt, Leverkusen. Okay, there's Bochum at home. Uh, mm. who they should that's that's going to be a huge game for them in terms of trying to push them some distance between themselves and relegation but aside from that you're then looking maybe it's tough it's Hoffenheim Gladbach Union Berlin then okay you've got Augsburg on 19th of March then Bielefeld so those are two potential six or three pointers but they've already dropped so many needless points this season and it's and it's, it's a it's a worry to see where they'll be able to pick it up yeah. Uh, unless obviously Kladzic can really start scoring and galvanizing his team, so I I'm really not hopeful uh, for Stuttgart. I think that relegation playoff spot could be theirs. Uh, come May, to be perfectly honest with you, I th- I think the next the the derby against Freiburg, um, Freiburg absolutely got smashed by Borussia Dortmund, um, and we'll get to talk about that game in a second. It's going to be big because it's a derby for them, and for years of the two clubs in Baden-Württemberg, it was Stuttgart who were the biggest side. But um, I think right now Freiburg is probably the team that can claim that number one spot, not by fan size and stadium size, but definitely where they are at in the league. Um, Mm. And that's going to be a big game for them and possibly an opportunity there for them because where is Freiburg at now that Dortmund absolutely dismantled them, right? Um, Can you can you make the most of that opportunity that they got put in place um, by Dortmund? I think that's going to be a big one. And then Frankfurt, who have been very good this year. Um, and then Leverkusen is going to be very hard. And then Bochum, I think I agree with you. That's that's a big one. And Hoffenheim, that's another, another derby. Um, possibly in February with fans. Who knows? Fingers crossed. So it's, it doesn't get doesn't get any easier and then Augsburg is of course a direct relegation uh, competitor but that's another derby because both teams are Swabians right so um, yeah it's it's an interesting one um, I'm not as confident as I was a week ago when I went on the Total Soccer Show to say that they will be fine um, <laughs> they maybe sum it up that way I'm, I'm sorry I may have jinxed them really badly um, but we'll see I guess uh, Stefan let's talk about the top of the table and um, I think we have. I think the whole Freiburg game is a, is a good interlude into this. Borussia Dortmund have played the best forty five minutes under Marco Rose against Freiburg, right? Am I the only one to say that? Is that crazy talk? I thought I thought they were amazing in the first forty five. No, absolutely. I mean, I think um, I thought this game was a huge test for Dortmund. Uh, obviously. The manner in which they pulled things back against Frankfurt, almost saving their season in the, in the space of 20, set, 20 minutes uh, in terms of the Bundesliga, it could have so easily been undone uh, against a Freiburg side who have caused so many issues uh, this season. I think they beat them early in, in, earlier in the season. Yeah, they did. 2-1. Uh, yeah. And 
it just seemed as though Dortmund were, were completely on top of things. Um, I thought Julian Brandt was again outstanding. He's if if, if I really do think if any player has kind of embodied pr- the progress that Dortmund possibly have made under Marco Rosa, it's probably Julian Brandt and Mahmoud Dahoud and Mahmoud Dahoud rather. Um, mm. Two players who were almost completely ignored by Lucien Favre. Um, you know, Brandt was obviously hugely linked with a move to the Premier League at one point simply because he could get game time in at Dortmund. Uh, and now him and Dahoud, these last two or three games have been outstanding. Um, so it just seemed like a really good team performance. Uh, Thomas Munier, <laughs> Munier just kind of stepping up. Uh, as he does from time to time. I think he's, I think I've said in the podcast recently, I think he's actually having a surprisingly good season. Uh, yeah. And Dortmund really need a good kind of wing back like him to kind of help chip in with things because he does provide a degree of width, which is sorely missing when he's not there, especially with the season that Rafael Guerrero's having right now, which isn't, he hasn't been very good at all, in my opinion, um, on, the other, on the other wing. So, yeah, I just thought um, it was a complete Dortmund performance and it was the kind of performance that, Surely must have been fueled by that comeback against Frankfurt, um, you know. And Dortmund themselves obviously have a huge kind of fixture list coming up. They got Hoffenheim, who are no pushovers at the moment, and then they have a, a they have Leverkusen, who are scoring goals for fun right now. Then they're way to Union Berlin. So, yeah, you know, it's a good way to start this start the year for Dortmund, um, and things on the pitch are working quite well, even if off the pitch, the club seem to be doing their best to find issues with Erling Haaland and his future and all sorts of nonsense. What did you think of the game? amazing transition. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to talk about that. Um, Yeah, the comments. Um, I thought it was really interesting. First of all, to Jan Agefjotov, who obviously is a, a friend of the family in Norwegian. And um, I thought the timing was interesting that it was made at that point of time that he just says he wants to just play football. I have no problem with those comments and and the questions either by the way i think it's fine i mean that's our job we have to ask those questions i think it's interesting that it comes up now uh, that holland brings this up now and we all know whose agent is mino raiola and of course first of all many people said this must have been raiola um telling his client to do this and say this right now. I don't think so. I think it came, it really was his opinion. And um, because it was, it didn't seem manufactured at all. And it, and Dortmund very quickly said, oh, we're not putting pressure on him at all. I don't believe that, Stefan. Hmm. I think we've all seen the media reports coming out of Germany that they want clarity for the future. And I maybe they're not putting on pressure directly on him by saying every training session, oh, we want to know what you're planning. But Haaland reads the news. He he sees what's going on on Twitter, on Instagram and all those social media channels. And that's pressure. Um, you know, that's still Dortmund via other media um, basically telling that they want clarity about his future. Hmm. Which I understand as well. I understand them. I, I get it. It's, you know, they need to know whether they need to sign a replacement in for next summer. Um, although we probably know that they have a few things already um, cooked up in those in that term. I find it interesting in that regard um, because it seems like the, the two sides are on different pages and I don't harbor too many hopes that Haaland will stay with Borussia Dortmund. The one thing that I do think is interesting, though, I'm curious what you thought about all of these comments, is that he said he just wants to play football. Um, And maybe it wasn't even just against Dortmund. It, it could also have been against his agent and his father and all these other people who are basically... Remember last year over Christmas, he went on a tour through all of Spain to check out 
various possible destinations. Hmm. And I wonder almost if that's just him saying, just let me play for now. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, And, you know, I actually have some sympathy with, uh, with Haaland here because as much as, you know, it's not, I don't think it's worth blowing this up into a huge kind of transfer drama because I don't, I don't think no. it is so much that, but, you know, Vatska has come out and said around Christmas time, around December, that, you know, the club will begin to seek assurances from Haaland or get him to explain what his future plans are. And I can't remember if it was him or Zork who confirmed that, you know, there's a release clause that we all know about, but mm. also it's a release clause which the player himself can choose to remove from his contract, which at the time I found quite interesting. But now when I look back on it, I think that's the club putting a huge amount of pressure on Haaland there. It's the equivalent of saying he can stay, it's up to him, you know, which, okay, fair enough. Uh, obviously, you'd say that about any player who wants to come and go, but it, it that kind of rhetoric has been kind of slowly building up, building up and building up from from press conferences and media interviews, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, Vatska knows what he's doing. It's, it's you know, Bayern Munich are always the ones who get his reputation for being these kind of sneaky uh behind the curtain, you know, cloak and dagger tricks to uh, make players or other clubs un, 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 uh, uncomfortable. But Vatska is as good as anyone in the Bundesliga doing things like this. Um, mm. And he has made, he's, he's put his neck out at times when he's talking about Haaland this season. And he has, you know, he said about, as I mentioned, about the, about the release clause, about getting Haaland to confirm what his plans are and he's gone so far as to say look I've had screaming matches with Mina Maiola down the phone a number of times this season um, but you know we're professional we got on with things so the club are going out of their way to do all of this to conduct all of this business in public so I found it really bizarre when Haaland gets asked a perfectly legitimate question yeah. you know and, you know, obviously that question is asked because, you know, um, of, of, of what Vatska and co have said in the past. So the question then gets put to Haaland and Haaland says, yeah, you know what, the club are actually beginning to put a bit of pressure on me. And then Michael Zork, I think on Saturday, and then I think Sebastian Kell afterwards, both came out on and said, oh, hold on double pass. Yeah, sorry, of course, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... They both came out and they basically said, "Oh well, we don't we don't know what Haaland's talking about. It's that's that's a preposterous accusation. Well, it maybe wasn't so strong as that, but I, I just found that quite odd. Uh, I must admit, you know. And I know football players can be prima donnas, and I know Mina Raiola obviously has a reputation for being a bit of a Rottweiler in negotiations. So I know he and Haaland aren't exactly shrinking violets, but I found it odd that you have one side of you have one part of Dortmund." very publicly saying this, you have the player then react publicly and then you have an, another part of the club then respond differently because uh, I, I thought it was quite contradictory from Dortmund to be to be perfectly honest mm. with you. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'd be interested to see what Haaland does do. I, I think um, in terms of, I mean, this probably we'd be probably answered answer this question like every two or three weeks, but I, I think as things stand... I am quite intrigued by the idea that he might join Real Madrid in 2023 um, because there's just simply no space for him at Madrid this summer, especially the way Benzema's playing at the moment. Kylian Mbappe joins as well. I, I just can't see it happening. And if that means he can stay at Dortmund for another season and then, and then Madrid sign him for 100 or 120 million or something, then I think that suits all parties. I think that would be the perfect situation for Dortmund, to be honest with you. And when you read between the lines, that's exactly what he could have meant with those comments. Yeah, yeah. I do think Real Madrid is the logical destination. I, I maintained that from the very beginning to the very end. I think they, uh, that's where his camp wants him to go. That's where he wants to go. Um, I can't see Barcelona finance the deal i think they'd be happy with barcelona as well but um yeah it's a financially very difficult deal for them to do um the other club that's been 
in and out of the conversation is Bayern Munich. And mm -hmm. I think we'll both have our fingers crossed that they're not signing Erling Haaland. Not because we don't want Erling Haaland not to be in the Bundesliga anymore, but I think the Bundesliga title, as long as Erling Haaland will play, will always go to Bayern. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, that said, they, with one big caveat, Erling Haaland misses about 30% of all games every season. And you mm -hmm. cannot say that about the guy who's just been voted the best player in the world by FIFA. And unlike the Ballon d'Or, I think this award got it right. Because in my <laughs> opinion, Robert Lewandowski is the best player in the world and he'll probably be the best player in the next two or three years. And I think that's why Bayern will not sign Erling Haaland because they know that they have the best player in the world at the moment. And I think what makes Robert Lewandowski the best player in the world is not just his goal scoring progress. Um, by the way, he scored 300, his third, 300th goal this weekend. Um, there's only one other player that has managed that number and that's, um, of course, Gerd Müller. And I'm actually now pretty optimistic that Lewandowski will get to Gerd Müller's 365 goals um, because I do think he's going to be a, a long enough at Bayern to get it. I think this is well-deserved, Stefan, for him to be voted the best player in the world. And I think as long as he is at Bayern, there will be no Erling Haaland at Bayern. I think that's a pretty cor correct assessment, isn't it? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I just don't see Haaland going to Bayern right now. Um, maybe if he was to prolong his stay at Dortmund for a couple of years, then maybe it might slot in quite well with Bayern Munich. I actually think Bayern Munich would be a perfect place for him, as it has been for Robert Lewandowski. Mm. Uh, but um, no, I don't see it. I think that would rock the boat far too much at, at Bayern. Um I, the only way I can maybe see that is if Lewandowski said to turn around to Bayern Munich and said, "Look, thank you for you know the last ten years of service, or thank you for letting me play here and win trophies." And I think I've earned. I think I've done enough to earn my good the goodwill that I get to go, I get to leave on my own terms now. And you know Real Madrid want to sign me, so let me go. Mm. And you know there's some sort of understanding there, and he gets to leave and go play in Madrid for a couple of seasons, and then. Bayern get Erling Haaland or something like that. I don't. I, I, maybe that, but I, I, I still don't really see that. I think he'll retire at Bayern Munich. I think he'll go on to become one of their great kind of ex-player leaders, as you know the club obviously have throughout the mm. generations have had. Um, yeah, and I think he'll be impossible to replace. To be honest with you, you're absolutely right. His yeah. his his real his real talent, as well as being an outstanding goal scorer, is that he just keeps incredibly fit. He doesn't get injured. Uh, which is almost unheard of in the modern game, mm. um, and yeah, I, I don't think I, I, I even at his age, I don't think Bayern are going to be pulling up trees trying to sign big strikers to try and sit alongside him in that squad. It just simply won't work. So no. yeah, for now, Haaland to Levin, uh, Haaland to Bayern doesn't make any sense. Not if you have Lewandowski um, who scores ridiculous amount of goals and it's just unbreakable like it's a little bit like Slatan Ibrahimovic and he takes so much care of his body um, it's just remarkable I, I can see him still getting close to 30 goals in his late 30s he's that good he's one of those guys there is people out there Thomas Müller is another one mm. who's 32 and he just doesn't slow down um, it's just getting better and you know, with the fitness regimes that we now have in place for some of these players, it's possible. I mean, the, the big one, and I think this is maybe my final point because we haven't discussed a lot today. and It's been a great show, but I made my final point on this is the players don't finish their careers because of fitness issues. You can be in an extraordinary shape until your 40s. What stops football players is ligament injuries. And both Lewandowski and Müller, and there's you can say the same about Cristiano Ronaldo and Slatan Ibrahimovic. Yes, he tore his ACL, but he's been relatively injury-free otherwise too. Haven't really suffered from many of those muscular and ligament injuries. And if you don't have those, you know, there's people winning the Ironmans in in the late forties. That's not what stops you. What stops you is injuries. And if you're injury-free, why are you going to stop? 
you know, and I think when, when Thomas Müller and Robert Lewandowski and Manuel Neuer is another one who is, has overcome, of course, two bad injuries and is now going to reduce contract for another three years. Um, there's to, there's Nübel's career at Bayern gone, that's for sure. But <laughs> I, I think there's nothing going to stop them. And um, that's a scary prospect for, I think, anyone who's hoping that Bayern Munich will slow down anytime soon. And it's good news, of course, for any Bayern Munich fan who's gotten used or maybe has gotten a Robert Lewandowski shirt because I think you're going to be wearing it for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's it um, for this week. It's, it's always been a joy. One of these days we have to do a Twitter space, Stefan. <laughs> we're actually going to be able to do it yeah 100% and yes I retweeted your article about Erling Haaland I think it was quite interesting so give that a read on your Twitter and other than that I think we'll be back pretty soon enjoy the DFB Pokal games I think there's some interesting ones and yeah until next week Auf Wiedersehen Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.